This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Fred Bruin was the director of global engagement under President Barack Obama. His counter-crisis management strategies were successfully used against Russian propaganda, and he managed other problems in Venezuela, Iraq, Ivory Coast, and Madagascar. And he's been looking at President Joe Biden's foreign policy plans recently, and he wrote an opinion piece that said there's a very real possibility those plans will fail. I didn't write it out of a desire for him or for our country to fail. I do feel, however, that we need to be prepared for that scenario. Bruin says the Biden administration's challenges may outweigh their accomplishments. Let's not forget that adversaries like Russia, China, and a whole host of other countries are not necessarily looking at going back to the way we used to do business before. He explains what the challenges are. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. During his inauguration speech, President Joe Biden said we will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again, not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's. He said American leadership must meet this new moment of advancing authoritarianism, including the growing ambitions of China to rival the U.S. and the determination of Russia to damage and disrupt our democracy. He said, we must start with diplomacy rooted in America's most cherished democratic values, defending freedom, championing opportunity, upholding universal rights, respecting the rule of law, and treating every person with dignity. He said, that's our global power. That's America's abiding advantage. Brett Bruin was the director of global engagement under President Barack Obama. He's been watching the Biden team and mission closely, and he suggested in an op-ed recently, the president's lofty goal of picking up where America left off on the world stage before Donald Trump may be out of reach. You wrote recently an opinion piece that essentially says, what if Joe Biden is not able to steer America's ship of state back to safer waters? In other words, you say there is a very real possibility that he cannot restore America's reputation. Why did you write that? I didn't write it out of a desire for him or for our country to fail. I I do feel, however, that we need to be prepared for that scenario. And there are so many headwinds. There are so many challenges. And let's not forget that adversaries like Russia, China, and a whole host of other countries 
are not necessarily looking at going back to the way we used to do business before. So we have to prepare for not just the optimal outcome, but uh, the uh, chance that we will fall short of uh, restoring our credibility, our influence, and quite frankly, uh, our position in the world. So you say the world is already into a post-American era. What is that? We have steadily, and it didn't start with Trump, it began uh, in the 1990s, eroded uh, confidence in, in our leadership. Uh, this is, um, you know, during the presidency of Bill Clinton, when we said, we're only going to help the Kosovars from above 10,000 feet. And then in the you know, early part of this century, we defined our relations with the world largely through the lens of, of terrorism and security. And even the president that I served was um, resistant to looking at engagement, whether it was in Syria, Iraq, uh, in, in other parts of the world. And all of that served to uh, undermine the U.S. role as a guarantor of stability and security standards uh, around the world. And, and there is no returning to that place. If you look at, for instance, uh, global opinion about the U.S., when Barack Obama came into office, it didn't go back to where we were prior to George W. Bush, and nor will it return now to where we were even under Obama. And we have to be prepared that while we'll remain a significant power, we will no longer be the power in a unique position of influence and of credibility as we once were. You know, H.R. McMaster, in a conversation I had with him not too long ago, said something similar to what you're saying, but he didn't quite cast it in such a dire manner. He said... A part of what happened is America and its strategic narcissism has put us in a situation where uh, the world has sort of uh, woken up to the fact that the U.S. is not what it used to be. But I want to ask you this, maybe to challenge a bit. Um, a lot of things went wrong in the U.S. in the last four years. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the U.S.'s reputation, without a doubt, was sullied and stained. But a lot of things went wrong around the world in the last four years, including a new round of poisonings by both North Korea and um, by Russia. Uh, situations involving uh, what was going on in Syria didn't, didn't go anywhere near what people were hoping for. There's also the situation with China. And, you know, China has, has they've got their own problems as well internally, just like Russia does. So do you see a window at all? for the U.S. to make some type of return to leadership? Because watching Joe Biden a couple of years ago in Munich at the Munich Security Conference, just a few feet away from him, he seemed to be pretty confident that he could do that. And the leaders the other day around the world seemed to be embracing it a bit. But you have a different view of that, right? Well, and I think we need only look at the remarks of President Macron of France, Angela Merkel of Germany, who even after Biden's hopeful address that America's back were sounding a note of caution and saying, we can no longer depend on a single country. They didn't specifically mention the United States, but the inference was clear. 
So I think that their confidence is badly shaken. And while Biden will make a effort, while he will make progress, the real question is how much and how fast. I uh, do continue to have concerns, and I served alongside a lot of uh, the team that is now coming into the national security structure, that they are used to dealing in a world that is uh, unlike we are currently confronting. I don't see enough of the career, current career officials elevated into positions of power on the National Security Council, the State Department, and elsewhere. I also feel as though the, you know, the very notion, and I was talking to some uh, foreign ambassadors about this, of America is back is a little bit wrongheaded because it implies somehow that we should just be taken back, you know, with open arms rather than, you know, the, I think, a concern that a lot of world leaders have about, you know, where we, we went astray and, in fact, the possibility that, you know, once again, in less than four years' time, we could find ourselves back in an America-first mindset. That's very interesting you mentioned that because I spoke with one of the national security people that you possibly worked with before, um, and this was during the transition. And this individual said to me that um, the Biden administration was looking to not go back in and say, okay, we're back, but to kind of gradually ease back in and say, okay, we're available to be back and we uh, recognize that we've been away and no, we don't think we can walk in and sort of uh, pick up where we left off, but we've got to do this slowly and we've got to do it with humility and contrition. But from what I hear you saying is that they haven't made, they haven't really communicated that. Is that right? No, and they haven't put a whole lot of substance behind the slogan. What, you know, I think unfortunately we've seen in these first few weeks uh, are, you know, reviews and we are engaged in a process of policy development. Well, we don't have the luxury of, you know, long policy deliberations. I think even, you know, the recent uh, announcement of sanctions uh, against Russia for uh, the poisoning uh, and imprisonment of Alexei Navalny, the uh, solar winds hack, the, the tactics that we're using are, are just um, outmoded by what our adversaries like Russia will actually see as a significant deterrent. So I, I worry that you know the team is too stuck in uh, the world as it was and not the world as it is. I fear that we are going to, you know, find ourselves trying to, you know, issue strongly worded statements from Washington, and yet they don't, you know, send uh, reverberations through the corridors of power as they once did. We have got to act more quickly. We've got to act more robustly. We have to act with others because I think only in a coordinated, collaborative way are we able to have the kind of strength that's necessary to meet the threats that we currently face? You, 
you've been thinking about this quite a bit, um, obviously, based on what you wrote. And you said it is time to come to terms with what would need to be prepared and done in that event. And you're talking about um, a situation where this administration uh, wants to be successful in all of it that it's trying to do. And you said the U.S. might no longer set the global agenda or even get the privilege to stay on international offense. Instead, we need to start figuring out how to pay, how to play better diplomatic defense. What does that look like? Well, I think it is a position in which the United States determines what are our top priorities and how do we stop the erosion of uh, those um, issues and the progress that uh, we were trying to achieve on them because we can't do as much as we used to in that scenario. What we are going to, as many countries do, have to start being more selective. We have to, uh, with the finite resources at our disposal, choose more wisely where they go. You know, one of the concerns uh, that I'm raising is while, you know, China, while even the likes of Saudi Arabia and, you know, other countries across the Middle East are lavishly spending on aid and other programs, we have, uh, just because of the budgetary realities of, of the economic recovery, of COVID, uh, of, of the situation and demands here in the U.S., very little that we're going to be able to bring to the table. And so if we uh, can do less, we are going to have to figure out, you know, what gets cut, what gets prioritized, and where perhaps it's important to shore up certain places versus us attempting to uh, advance and, you know, be as ambitious as we once were. Well, I've got to say again, Brett, and, you know, they're not here, and I'm I've asked the um, Biden administration for some kind of response to this, but it's not likely they will respond. So I'm doing the devil's advocate piece in place of them. You know, the U.S.'s adversaries have their own problems, and they're not small problems. And many of the allies have been rooting for the U.S., and it seems as though that the U.S. has gotten the opportunity, gotten back in the door and seems to have a pretty good chance at being successful. Is there something that you think absolutely has to happen to ensure that it can do what you're, you're saying they can't do? Or is there just no way that the U.S. can get back to that point? Well, I think the first um, observation I would make is that most of our adversaries have much longer timelines and that that affords them, even if they have inherent weaknesses, and China, Russia, others um, are going to have their own challenges. And yet, because they don't have to worry about the uh, election in two or four years' time, because they do invest, they think, they build strategies out over decades, that comes with certain advantages. What can the United States do? I think one of the ways in which uh, we, we ought to adapt to a post-American world is that the government does not have to be the primary uh, catalyst, the primary driver of all of the things that we are seeking 
to achieve in the world, we are going to have to uh, use unique partnerships, partnerships with other countries, partnerships with other organizations, even bringing in you know, companies and uh, the likes of, uh, uh, of folks who have influential voices to try and um, achieve some of the things that we are after. And it's one of the lessons I took away from my time at the White House was rather than you know, trying to develop expensive new government programs, much of our time would be better spent convening uh, key actors, key organizations together to think about what we could achieve, what they could achieve. Um, and that I think is increasingly going to be the role for the United States in the world. We are no longer the ones that are going to necessarily be the, the first or the primary um, instigator and driver uh, of this change. We're going to have to play a supporting role. Okay. This question I'd like to ask you more specifically about the U.S. itself. What the U.S. has gone through in the last four years has been a whole lot of cognitive dissonance, a whole lot of people going down rabbit holes, chasing conspiracy theories, a whole lot of people believing lies, a lot of people who previously were thought of as reputable people peddling those lies, and things got turned upside down. And to some degree, they're still upside down, considering what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. A lot of people are still believing conspiracy theories. A lot of people know those conspiracy theories aren't true, but they're still unwilling to move forward. So um, how do we fix all that? There's a lot of work still to do. And I, I would say that disinformation and efforts at uh, sparking, stoking division and doubt about institutions, ideals, all of that remains with us. Joe Biden may be in uh, the Oval Office, Donald Trump may be in Mar-a-Lago, but we still have the legacy of, of what was done over the last several years. And, and I don't think that it stops in politics. We have seen it seep into you know, public health debates about COVID, about vaccines. I think we will increasingly see it expand into economic and business matters, into social issues. And we have yet to, uh, in the Trump administration and even in this administration, see a um, serious effort at how to counter disinformation, both foreign as well as domestic. And until and unless we figure that out, it will remain one of the most dangerous threats to uh, the security, the stability, and the strength of our country. So I, I would argue that disinformation has to be elevated. Serious resources have to be put towards how do we build up the uh, defenses around disinformation? How do we track it? How do we ensure that we're doing a better job of educating the public and uh, the press about these matters and how to handle um, these issues? And then I've, I've long advocated that in some cases, especially when it comes to foreign actors, we have to be willing to uh, 
use offensive information operations, not um, disinformation, but certainly in the case of Russia or China and you know other adversaries, the you know free wherever a stand army reincarnation of extremism that we are willing to shine a bright light of transparency on them. We are willing to show them that there is a cost to this mass meddling and disinformation. And without that, you know, the, the notion again, that we're going to slap some sanctions on a, a few Russian oligarchs, or we're going to, you know, send, from the NSA, a, a digital note to the propagandist in Moscow or St. Petersburg is not a sufficient deterrent. In fact, in many ways, it's a badge of honor in the cocktail parties in Moscow and St. Petersburg. So we have got to get serious about how we are approaching the very real and significant threat of a a disinformation campaign abroad, and then clearly and increasingly at home as well. Brett, you clearly have a connection to uh, the White House. Have you told them what you think, uh, aside from what you've written? Have you had conversations with those folks and or any of those folks, and what have they said? I continue to stay in touch with both uh, those that are in the government, have gone back into government, as well as those that are uh, sort of in uh, the wings of returning to government. And, you know, they say, give us time. Um, you know, we we will work on it. We will try to do better, which, um, you know, is one of those old expressions I remember from my days in government yeah. that, you know, you're just trying to put off your critics and say, you know, wait, watch, you know, it will come. And this is where I, I really believe we have to see from the president and from his leaders in a very short period of time, a much more uh, robust strategy of how are we actually going to build back our place in the world better? Because it's nice to have a pep talk at the State Department. It's nice to tell our allies that we're back and you know our return should be celebrated it's important to reinforce our commitment to core principles and values but now is the time where we actually have to put our money where the message is we have to show what is it that we're going to do and that is where you know i would again remind those in the administration they don't have the luxury of much time. And, and this honeymoon period is going to wear off pretty quickly, and they're going to face even more challenges and skepticism. So I think they better get to it. I agree. Thank you so much for your time, Brett. That was a really insightful piece and a great uh, conversation with you. Thank you for doing this, and hopefully um, they will get the message, uh, all of the messages, and uh, hopefully things will work out. Anytime, and, and thanks for uh, the opportunity, and look forward to staying in touch. That is Brett Bruin. He's president of the Global Situation Room. It's a public affairs agency dedicated to helping companies solve their most complex communications challenges. He was previously the Global Engagement Director at the White House during the Obama administration. As I said, we've contacted the White House, and we have on several occasions asking them for some 
engagement on a number of national security issues, including this particular situation that Bruin was talking about. We have not heard back from them on either occasion, with the exception of one in which they said uh, they would like to engage. But so far, we haven't gotten anything more concrete. Hopefully, that'll change. We'll see. Coming up on our next episode, the intelligence breakdown at the Capitol during the January 6th riot. Why did it happen? Terrorism um, in overall has been uh, a second tier counterterrorism uh, priority in the United States uh, government. And um, when threats come in uh, from someone who is in the domestic realm, uh, it is taken seriously, but isn't given the credence uh, in a lot of cases that it would be if it was a foreign threat. Retired FBI agent Tom O'Connor and some other prominent voices talk to us about just that. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about what we're doing, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey, tango, Oscar, papa, dot com. jgreen at wtop.com. We would like to invite you as well to follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra alpha podcast also please subscribe to our podcast and if you'd like more national security information you please can sign up for our newsletter it's called inside the skiff and you can sign up at wtop.com slash alerts i'm jj green and this is target usa the national security podcast What's up, guys? This is Max here, and I'm really excited to invite you to watch my Color Vision Deluxe Experience live concert on Live by Live this February. It's, it's going to be brilliant. We're playing Blueberry Eyes, Lights Down Low, Love Me Less, all the songs off my album. I hope you can join us. Tickets at livexlive.com slash max, and I'll see you February 27th, only on Live by Live. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.